Good evening. Many of you are old friends. Some of you I think I've never seen before, but you might just be like eight years older or something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some of you have grown up um, and I don't recognize you from childhood, but it's, it's wonderful to be here and I can't help myself. I know Jacques commented on the worship, but I can't just start speaking and not comment on the worship. How was that? Like it felt like there were 800 people in this place worshiping. So I don't know if angels joined us or what happened. And, you know, often we go, thank you, worship guys, because we know they put hours in and that. But I want to say thank you, every single saint whose heart is soft before the Lord and whose heart is turned towards him and who worshiped him tonight who forgot about themselves and just worshiped them. Because, yeah, that makes it great for all of us when every person just softens their hearts before the Lord. And it makes such a, uh, it, it creates such an easy atmosphere for me to come in and share with you what I feel the Lord wants to say to this congregation. So this is what I heard the Lord say. Um, and then we'll start there. I heard him say, make room. So if you want to title the message, you can call it make room. And he just started speaking to me. I was driving down to Cape Town. He started speaking to me about the joyous sacrifice for the sake of the little ones. And um, I'm a single, childless person, and I love your kids. I mean, kids are amazing things, you know, like humans are really fantastical beings. Um, But what a wonder that people would want kids and then want more if you look at the cost and the sacrifice involved. Can we get a bit honest here? <laughs> you know? I know your kids are wonderful, but wow, what it's cost you. You know, from birth pains to like adoption processes, um, the heartache of miscarriages and health risks and the cost of fertility treatment and giving up personal space. I mean, it sounds like a little thing, but it's a big thing. Like personal space is one of the most precious things I have. And you give that up for the sake of little ones. I remember um, they were also in this congregation a family years ago. um, And she just came back from the hospital with her baby and I took them a meal. And she was lying breastfeeding the new baby. And her two other boys were having like a wrestling match on top of her. And they still had a fourth boy after all that. I'm amazed. Sleepless nights, afternoon naps, something of the past. You know, it still happens today. I go, I'm just going for a nap after Sunday church. And, and all the, the mothers of little ones go, nap, what's that? You know, the dads too. And then going from a double to a single income home. How many of you, when you had kids, um, the wife left a good job, good income, so that you could be um, with the children? How many of you have exchanged real, like, Dinkum proper restaurants for the spur? I could never get that, you know, like, why does all my friends suddenly want to go to the spur, meet at the spur? Like, they're trying to finish their sentence, you know, that's why we go to the spur. So, car seats full of crumbs, and your cool cross exchanged for, like, mummy vans, um, you know, like the noise levels in your homes. I'm so sensory sensitive, so noise, you know, kids come with great noise and like, baby, shock, 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 baby, shock, shock, and then Paw Patrol, you know, there's even the sounds in a home that has welcomed children are very different and not always the parents' choice 
of music or, or TV programs, the doctor bills, the school fees, and then even as they grow up, the puberty ups and downs, the pain of prodigals, even, even into adulthood, parents' concern for their grandchildren. I mean, it is, a, it is just sacrifice from beginning to end. And none of these things seem to be people are off. You guys keep doing it. I mean, some of you do it over and over again. And, and people just keep having more. And even they keep making room. They keep dying to solve for children's sake. Even the most selfish people in the world, even people that don't have the Holy Spirit's power and grace from the Lord and all that, they make, they do selfless things for the sake of little ones. And even siblings pay a price. Shame, man. They didn't sign up for that. They go from, the eldest one goes from, little baby and you're so cute too. You're going to be big brother now. You're going to be, you're all grown up now. But he's like two years old, you know, and now he's got to carry the diaper bag and he's got to cry by his daddy because his mommy's got already got one on her. And um, even siblings, you know, like go from only child to like one of many or the youngest becomes the middle child or whatever. It is just, there's so much sacrifice involved. Even the look of a home changes completely. I mean, it takes you two seconds to know when you walk into someone's lounge that they've got kids, hey? Like, it's the princess tent, it's the Legos on the carpet, it's the no more priceless artifacts being displayed on, on, on floating shelves, you know? Um, no more single girl white couches, um, all the sharp knives get put away, and uh, household chemis- chemicals are hidden, and there is no man cave no more. Where's the office? Oh, no, that's the baby room now. The spare room has, like, bunk beds in it, and it's just, this, even a home itself practically changed completely, and you, you know, one of the things that's a little bit of an important thing in my life is food, and, like, I love your children, but when that little grubby hand goes into your plate of food, I'm like... Huh? Oh, this is like, why do people keep doing this? So you beautiful, well-groomed ladies with a vomit on your shoulder and the husbands that used to be the center of your bride's attention, just receiving so much love and adoration and food rubs and whatever, suddenly you, you, you're not the center of her attention. And there's a whole different level, <laughs> a whole different level of leading and providing for and protecting your family. I mean, what, a, what an incredible yoke on a man, when they, especially when he gets married, but also when they start having children. And then, I, th- I don't know if modern knowledge makes it, makes it easier or harder, but now suddenly we're aware of like developmental concerns and like psychological stuff you can do to your kids. I mean, a few generations to back, people weren't going, what if we score them emotionally? I mean, it's like as long as we keep them alive, they'll be fine, you know? Now we know all these things and we go through into healing and deliverance and we're thinking, oh my hats, the kids, the kids, how much deliverance they're going to need and start saving up for the like, you know, seeing therapists and stuff eventually. And, uh, and it, it is just, there's so many educational stresses and I'll stop just now. I know it's getting a bit much. So why does mankind still do it? And I suspect that maybe, maybe it has something to do with what God's like. That somehow in fallen man, there's a little bit of God's heart. There's a little bit of who he is that's still visible. John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
I mean, no greater sacrifice for a father. So whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Hebrews 2 verse 10, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through that which he suffered. Shall we read it that again? For it, Hebrews 2 verse 10, for it, is, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And then verse 13, there's this quote, and it says, Here am I, and the children God's given me. Huh? How incredible that this is not a new thing. This suffering for the sake of little ones, this joyous sacrifice for the sake of making room for offspring, that it's such a part of what God is about. And I'm actually speaking about hospitality in a way tonight, about loving strangers. I'm speaking about making room for the little ones. I'm speaking about discipling. But in all of it, I just felt the Lord didn't want me to get practical. From here on, you as home group leaders and help people get, put this into practical, put it, you know, live it out practically in practical service and practical ways. But I feel God would be so pleased if we just catch his heart tonight. If that's all, because when we truly catch his heart, we start acting like him. Hey, we're not, some of you are like really like good people and stuff, and we're a boy and a girl and stuff. I'm not like that. So, so for me to give me a list of stuff to do, because that is the right thing to do, ugh, doesn't work, you know, just doesn't work. For some of you, that works. To read in the word, we should be hospitable, we should love one another, we should disciple one another. It works for you. But for most of us, we have to see him. I'm just too self-centered to start doing stuff and continue to do it because it's the right thing. But I've fallen in love with one who's done it all for me. And my heart's so grateful towards him. I want to be like him. I want to represent him. I want to live in a way that people go, she must be his daughter. And this is just one way we can honor him as those who make joyous sacrifices for the sake of little ones. John 14, verse 2, in my father's house, there are many rooms. You know, I often, it still happens to me, I often have these dreams about like, like amazing houses. I don't know if it's places in heaven that I see or something. Amazing houses. And then, and then I always try and see how many Justinas I can fit in, you know, and always try and find like an art studio or something and like, you know, different creative spaces. But, but there's always this, in, in, you know, like I think as Westerners, we think in terms of, of each of us will have like a little mansion in heaven. I think it's going to be like a commune. So for those of you that's lived in community properly, you'll know that it's messy. <laughs> that is not always great, you know. But imagine living community with a bunch of perfect people. That's heaven. In my father's house, there are many rooms. He's going to prepare a place for us. So God is the ultimate example of one who gave all for the sake of children, the ultimate hospitality, the ultimate, uh, the word in Greek is philozenos, um, loving strangers, the ultimate expression that while we're still his enemies, he paid the highest price for us. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The joy of many becoming sons. Ephesians 2 verse 12, remember 
that you were at that time separated from um, Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember, remember when you were without hope and without God in the world. Remember when you were outside the household of God. Remember even when you already met Jesus and, and found salvation of born again, but like a orphan have not been added into a family or found yourself in an abusive family or a dysfunctional family. And this is not, this is not a perfect family. Please, for visitors, please, it will take you a very short time to realize that we are in no way what God has called us to be yet. We really want to go from glory to glory, but we're not there yet. But remember when you got added to Josh Jane. When, remember when the first time that, that someone invited you into their homes, you know, we sat down with people around a table. Remember that moment as you were part of a home group or community, where you're like, oh my hat, I have nothing in common with these people, but I feel so at home. I'm so loved. You can choose your friends, you can't choose your family, and none of us have chosen one another, and yet we love one another because we're family. Remember when you didn't have that. Remember a time before you had the spirit by which we can call out Abba Father. You know, we all still have issues, and often we still feel rejected or left out or isolated or Really, like, welcome to the family of God. The moment you think of, oh, you know, I'm almost 50 now, so all my stuff must be sorted out. I have been in Joshin for 23, 4 years, you know. Surely I'm done with insecurities and my brokenness and my hang-ups and whatever. And then circumstances shift a little bit, and I'm like, oh, oh, I don't feel I belong, or like whatever, or, or am I loved, you know, like these question marks. And so, so get used to the fact that will never, that even if the church grows into virtually perfect family and expression of God on earth, that we're still all broken. And as we do this together, there will be times where you won't be loved well. And there will be times where you'll be loved well, but you wouldn't realize that you're being loved well. You'll think someone hates you, that's why they're telling you the truth. But it's actually because they love you. So we are in a family and I think sometimes forget, we forget what it was like. We can get critical of the family we're in right now and see where we're not doing things right and where people are failing us and, and forget what we came from. I remember being without hope and without God. Um, actually, before I got filled with the Spirit, even when I'm, I wasn't without God, I had Jesus, but without His church, yeah. will you make room in your heart, room in your home, in your life, for, for God's little ones. You know, sometimes we see it happen so often. People would for years long to have children and then they would adopt or God would give them biological children and suddenly you don't see them at church anymore because it's almost like the gift God's given them that they so desired from him became an idol. And um, it can be very easy. And I think COVID totally played into that where people like go, Yes, this is much easier than all the church business, you know. This is much less messy, just me, myself, I, and our dog, and our three children, maybe, and we just stay home, you know. We, we still get good preachers. We just watch it on TV, and we can stop it if we don't like it. You know, there's, there's something of that that actually played into even the isolation of families. But I feel God is asking this of you tonight. 
if you will make room for his children and no longer just live for your house, but that you'll live for his house. And maybe in theory you think you're doing that, but it's only when we stand in his presence that we get a true, like only his presence is really, and his word is really the mirror that shows us where we're at, you know. And, and I do believe God is calling us to greater faithfulness to his house. He adds living stones. He builds a house where he can live by his spirit. Will you make that joyous sacrifice of finances and personal space and comfort and time and convenience? And are you willing to open your hearts for children that might turn on you and bite you and hurt you? You know, I was trying to think of, I wanted to tell you loads of good stories and I also felt God wasn't on that, but of people that, that's been through, through our homes from when we started Josh Jean 23, 24 years ago, whatever. And, um, and you know what, what I realized as I remembered them it's only a percentage of them that is serving God now. Some of them died of overdoses. Some of them, um, you're like, yeah, no, no, sectic stories. Okay, let me not go there. Brain comes back, come back. Here we go. Okay, so, so the fact is, you never know what you're going to get, you know. Like some people go, everyone's warning them against adopting children because there's such horror stories. And I go, have you heard the horror stories from biological parents? Like, really, you know? There is, we just never know. what we All we know is that we have a call to reflect Him, to love as He loved, to love as we've been loved. So years ago, like, and, and I really feel the Lord is wanting all hands on deck, you know, like, I think as a, a congregation grow and gets a bit bigger, it can easily start becoming a mindset that you have the group of people that's here to receive, and then the group, the leaders that's supposed to serve everyone and actually do the stuff, and the rest of us can just enjoy, you know, but in the household of God, we all have a job to do. We all need to take part. And um, something that was such a beautiful illustration of this for me is years ago, I heard a story that I've never forgotten, and it's about an American family who had two biological children and wanted a third, wanted to adopt. They couldn't ha um, have any more children naturally, and they wanted to adopt. So they found a little boy in Russia, went there to discover that he had six siblings. And in that moment, they just felt they couldn't break up the family, like these seven kids, and they're all that one another has, have. And uh, so they called back home to their home church, and they said, like, we came to fetch one to go from two to three. Now we're in a situation where could we go from two to, to nine? And this, their church family just went, we can do it. We can do it. And they said they haven't even arrived home yet, and builders in the church have built onto their house. They have, like, it was impressive, the, like, a, like an industrial laundromat, like, in the house. Um, they had uh, uh, um, uh, one of the carpenters just doing these, like, three, four levels bunk beds, you know. And it's just incredible how, that, no, they couldn't actually take it on. But because they were part of a family, they could do it. And there's so much we can do because we have one another. You know, even if your home is not big enough, then someone's home is big enough and, and you have a big enough soup pot and the other person um, have, you know, like uh, the bedding that you lack to be able to host people for 412 or whatever. And before you know it, as we start talking, as we start talking practically, we realize maybe it's too much for one person, 
but maybe we can do it together. And even in Josh Jean, I tell you the amount of people we've discipled that I never, ever would have had the faith to allow into my life if there weren't a bunch of people around me that helped and loved and cared with me and could play different roles in their lives. So yes, there's overwhelming amounts of sons and daughters that God wants to add to you. Overwhelming amounts. That is just in his nature. He always asks more of us than that which is possible because he doesn't want us to live natural lives. He wants us to live lives that reflect him. And he's supernatural in all his ways. He is so off the charts good. He is so off the charts loving and holy. And he wants to express himself through his sons and daughters. So will you represent him as mothers and fathers and daughters and, and brothers and sisters in the household. The New Testament church gathered, as we know, at Solomon's Colonnade, but they also met in one another's homes. Make room in your life. Make room in your heart. Make room in your home. Make room in your home group. It must be one of the most you know, for Christians that's not currently in prison and being tortured, I think one of the hardest things is change to a home group. Don't you think? Like, it's really a challenge. Like, you know, you go, I'm like, I'm thinking of, over the years, I've been in many different home groups. So, so say with Marlies and Yaku, they plot a home group, I join them. And like, it's the oddest bunch of people together, you know, like, and then after a while, we're like, oh, now there's a little rhythm going, we get one another, you know, they've like helped the parents of kids enough so that there's actually the sound levels come down at some point, you know, there's, <laughs> there's little cages and stuff to put them away. <laughs> Jokes, <laughs> little blankies, the Christian version of cages. Yeah. Anyway, don't cross this line. Yeah. And it, it, I, know, I, I don't get in trouble or whatever. But anyway, so, um, so it was something like that. You can ask them for the true story. And, uh, and then you just, just have found that, and then more people get added. More people get added. And suddenly you have one person that just takes over and tells your horror stories. Or you have one couple whose kids again need to learn what the other kids learned. And, and it's just a never-ending cycle of sacrifice. Make those sacrifices. Make it for God. Do it for God. Do it to be like Him. Because He, there's always space for more in His heart. Now, I listened to a new friend in Swellendam's testimony the other day, and I never would have thought that. Like, she doesn't look like a person that had a difficult upbringing. But she, I don't know what someone looks like that had a difficult upbringing. But anyway, so she was just, she just mentioned one thing, is that she's never, they never sat around a table as a family. And I think because of her mum and dad's relationship and just because of things that went on in the home, they never sat down around a table. For your, your table, doesn't matter if it's like this size or that size, might be the first time that someone sits down. Maybe it will be the first time that they start going, oh, that's what God means when he says this about, you know, like preparing a feast for me or I've prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Or suddenly these things make sense to them. That for the first time they've experienced just some practical things that reflect family. I want to encourage you as a single, as one who's lived that life, I want to encourage families, 
even if the singles are awkward about it, include them in your family. I tell you, the families that's done that, the kids have an abundance of aunties and uncles that adore them. The amount of things that God has done in that way, and in a way that is spiritual warfare for singles, because there's something very unbiblical about us floating around on our own, all vulnerable, and targets for whatever, you know. So if you bring singles into your family, you could protect them against falling away from the Lord. And you can protect them against making silly decisions when it comes to relationships. If you keep them close and you fill something of their need for family, their chances of flourishing in God is a hundred times better. You could do that for one of God's children. And same, singles, you can help. There's so many ways you can help. As, as singles, we have so much to offer if we will just push aside our selfishness and make ourselves available to help and to learn. Just be patient. I'm reading my notes, and they are actually readable, which doesn't often happen. Um, <laughs> You know, something that is so wonderful, obviously there's other reasons why children, why people want children, it's not pure instinct. There's such a joy and a delight in watching children grow and becoming who God intended them to be and watching some of your good attributes and genes coming through, you know, like, <laughs> like, sometimes, like Julie and I actually, is Julie still here? But um, the one time, um, Julie and I walked away from a couple that were complaining about their very naughty boy, and, and we both looked at each other, and I knew she was thinking what I'm thinking, but I usually say what everyone else is thinking, so I said, he's just like his dad. <laughs> I don't know why the parents are surprised, or like a lot of my friends that's in leadership, and they go, our children are so stubborn, they're so sensitive, you know, and I'm like, what were they thinking if they put them together in a gene pool, what do they think it's going to come out, compliant, little lug, whatever you say, mummies, no, not, not like that, so <laughs> I'm distracting myself, let me see, so, so in terms of this wonderful, this wonderful reward, and for myself, I mean, I personally have wanted to have children since I was a little girl, and I remember when I was 16, I became like dangerously broody, you know, like really, and, and now, like I said, I'm always 50 and I'm this, that ship have sailed, but I can say sing a barren woman or sing a single woman or sing a single guy because we have more children than the women that have natural children and just stick to that. You know how many children we've got? You know, in this household, um, I don't know if, how many of you have been like loved and brought into family by the dots, you know, like by, now I want to say, you know whose daughter she is? Lynette, she's Yaku and Sharon's daughter. When she was a single mom and quite confused and very broken, we're all still a bit confused and broken, but you mean like very, very broken and confused. They took her in. They took her in, and she learned. She grew up in the household. And, um, you know, like this weekend, I'm going to Musenberg Congregation, and one of the eldership couples that came through recently was um, Chantal and Julian Goldswain. Chantal, after she got saved, she was living with her boyfriend, um, she moved into my house. She slept on my pink couch for a year, and we baptized her in, my, in our swimming pool in the complex. And now she's an eldest wife. That's my daughter. 
Chantal, her, her success, so my successes, when, when she flourishes, like, it feels like, wow, you know? And there's such an inheritance for us in little ones if we're willing to make those sacrifices. That I tell you to look over your shoulder, and I'm sure it's the same for the guys that's been in Joshin for long, to look over my shoulder and see people grown up doing well and discipling others. Jenny and Jenny Stevens and Delia um, and it's like people like Michelle Bulmore, I don't know how many of you know them, but they're these single women in the house that does these things that people like Julie and I did at first. They have girls praying at their houses. They have big soup pots. They um, discipling, hands-on discipling so many people. And you can carry on like that about so many guys amongst us, so many couples among us. We have a rich inheritance, and it's worth sacrificing for. I didn't look at what time I started. So even if I think of the nations and further out and how many people have been planted out, I was thinking about Lavmo and, and Laura and just the incredible people that are in Kailicha. You know whose daughter Laura is? Yakun Marilises. So, so no matter where you look, you know, even, even relationships that's led to church plants, it didn't always start with a meeting over coffee because we're going to have a church plant meeting now. It happened with someone like you saying, oh, they can stay at my house, then introducing them to someone else, and then before you know it, there's another church planted somewhere. And as they tell the story, I heard that, that um, your parents uh, uh, hosted, are you playing games? Your phone. <laughs> I believe you, I believe you. Um, uh, um, that, that Andrew, <laughs> I was blushing. He obviously doesn't know me yet. Um, so Andrew and MC stayed in your parents' house when you were like how old? Sixteen. And here's a man staying with us, learning to go back and change the nation. So you never know when you open your heart, when you take part in God's plan of building family, the rewards are really incredible. There is great joy in this. I, I do want to share this. I was thinking, I hope it doesn't sound heavy, but um, I shared it with Jacques beforehand. Um, so I read this book, and it was about uh, how over the generations it came, like this bunch of New York bankers, and they're some of the richest men in the world, and they all have similar stories. So most of them... Their parents were poor immigrants that came from Eastern Europe and landed in New York and then worked hard and started little businesses from home. And their whole aim was to work so that their, their children can have better lives. So they would literally work like that day and night and start like it was a lot of tailors' businesses, Jewish people that started tailors' businesses to put their sons through, say, law school. And they, yeah, to just that someone in the family can afford uh, a good education and then from that move on in life. And what they found is the marriages were strong in that first generation. And there was a sense of joy in the household because it was meaningful labor. They were working for the next generation. They wanted to give them something that they couldn't have in the old country. 
then these men that watch their parents work ethics at home and, and watch their parents go from nothing to something, started building businesses in spite of and sometimes because of the rejection they got from the establishment as Jewish men. And they became filthy rich. But there the marriages wasn't so great anymore because now it wasn't so much a home and a family business. It was something much bigger. And also now more and more money and riches got involved and riches are deceitful. But there's a deep gratitude and a huge work ethic because of what they saw with their parents. And then the next generation, you know what they looked like? They lost an empty, they squandered whatever they got. They very, there is just very few of them that become anything that makes a difference like, you know, in the, in the natural sense in this world. And I, wanted, I want to ask you, as guys who have a lot of the first generation, Josh and guys, a lot of what you live in, including this roof we're under, has, was built on the sacrifice of almost the first generation of church planters. And I tell you, we didn't know how poor we were, but we were poor. <laughs> Not many amongst us had proper jobs. And yet there was so much joy. The most normal thing for us was every Saturday our people move. And I mean, now we pay for movers. <laughs> so nice. But, but we have lost some of that joy of meaningful work because we were it. And then we have a generation, like the next generation of guys, that have learned from us and copied us in a, in a good way, that's become our sons and daughters and lived that out, and are so grateful for what has been done and what has been sacrificed before they came. But maybe there's already another generation that's entitled, that just think, this is how church should be. Oh, I can't handle it. Why aren't the toilets clean this time? You guys don't understand how stinky that all that we used to be in, those toilets were. Or now suddenly you're like, everyone preaches about love. Why don't I get loved more? I need to get loved more. And suddenly it's about getting. And maybe some of you have lost sight of the joyous sacrifice. That if you were born again, if you've been born again for two days, you already can be such an encourager to your little brother that got born again today. If you have two loaves of bread, <laughs> you've got one to share. If, if you have a little space where you live, I promise you there is space for other people to come and play a board game and drink tap water. <laughs> it's so not about riches. It's so not about comparing, but this person's got a big house and that one can cook and that one can It's so not about that. It's just about making room in your heart and believing that you are rich. Even if you're young in the Lord and you think you don't know much, you already know more than the person who don't know Jesus. Or you already know more than someone that, that you know, haven't like, been basically discipled yet. You have so much to give. Don't be that third generation. Be grateful what's been before, but work and fight for what God fights for as if, if you don't do it, no one will. So that means we are going to stretch ourselves from being friendly to someone that comes to church to actually go, will you come to my house? It is small, but please come to my house. You know? it, when we spend our money and we look at that lacquer couch and we look at the sleeper couch to pick the sleeper couch 
when we think of how we're going to rearrange our home, that we think, how can we make room? How can we make room for those that God died for? How can we give someone family? How can we give someone a chair to sit at a table, maybe for the first time in their lives? How can we do this? How can we lead a, a, just a coffee visit in a way that it's going to become food for someone that's starving spiritually or encouragement for someone that's discouraged? I know God's heart is to add many more little ones to this congregation. And not all of them are going to be nice people. Not all of them are going to be grateful people. They're going to most likely be a lot like us when God found us and when he started footering that out of us. They're going to be human like us. But remember what he's done for you. Remember what he's done for you and freely give because we freely received. We have received so much from those who sacrificed before us. But we also have received so much from Jesus. I know God wants to add and I, I felt that is what the Lord wanted to stir in your hearts, that you will have such a desire to represent him well, to be more like him in this area, and that the fruit of it would be very practical and very visible. And that as he looks on this household and say, look how faithful they are with every couch, every pillow, every bread roll, every bit of their time, every bit of their personal space. Look how faithful they are. Look at these people that do not just look after their own households, but look after mine. And then he goes, I can add more. Let me give them more. And there will be joy in this place. There will be more joy in this place.